Recently, I read the book, If Nuns Ruled the World, by Jan Piazzo. It's a great book. It's a collection of stories of nuns from all over who are making an incredible impact on the world. One of the biographical sketches is of Saint or Sister Teresa Fitzgerald, Sister Tessa. She has a ministry in Queens, New York, and she grew up on Long Island in a very, very poor family. Her parents were Irish immigrants, and they worked very hard to send her to a good Catholic school. And it was there that Tessa had this desire, and she knew from an early age that she wanted to be a nun. Now, she stopped talking about it because the children would tease her. And so she kept quiet about that desire until after graduation. In fact, her parents never knew about her decision until she left to go to the Sisters of St. Joseph. Her parents were proud of her, and yet they were also a little worried They wanted their daughter to have a good life. She was able to affirm her desires. She was able to reassure them over the years of just how good her life is. And she continues to express the gratefulness that she has for her family, for God, and for her calling. She loves her ministry. She runs a program called Our Children in Queens, And it works with women who are incarcerated and with their families. It began when she took a visit to a prison with another nun. This nun was taking a small child to visit his mother, and Sister Tessa happened to go along, and it changed her life. The ministry had begun back in the early 1980s when a group of nuns were conducting a literacy program in a women's uh, prison. Now, the women were so appreciative, and they loved the nuns, but finally they summoned the courage to ask for what they really wanted, what was important to them. They wanted to know about their children. They wanted to know how their children were doing and if there was any possible way that they could communicate with them. And so Sister Elaine Router started a program, and she became an official family liaison for the prison system. She began escorting children to and from the prisons to have a time to visit their mothers and and to try to maintain that bond. Well, it was one of those visits that Sister Elaine had invited Sister Tessa to join her. And when Sister Tessa made that visit, she knew what she wanted her life's ministry to be. She said on that very first prison visit, she was hooked. She loved it. She says that she loves going to visit people in prisons, that she can almost taste the hope that's there. Now, you know it's somebody's life calling when they find hope in prison and and they love going to visit people there. It's her passion. She is so grateful that she gets to be a part of this, that she is continually living this out and how she considers new ministries. She wants to be there for these women and really help transform their lives. She understood for, uh, early on that one of the first things that was needed was a place for these children. Often they're born in prison. 
They needed a place for these children to live so that they could remain connected. And, and so Sister Tessa spoke with the other four nuns in her group, and they prayed about it, and, and they became foster mothers. They renovated a building to have a place, a home for these children to live in, to raise up these children and have them maintain that connection until their mothers could get out. It's an important ministry. Now, I love the fact that they called the building, the, the home where they raised these children, they call it my mother's house. And that's because so often these children face a lot of ridicule because their mothers are incarcerated. And so they wanted a place that if anybody ever asked them, where are you going, they could always say, truthfully, my mother's house, and there wouldn't be any further discussion or questions needed. They had the hope of reuniting these families, not just for the children, but for the mothers, and to create a new community. Sister Tessa had given up and sacrificed the idea of having a child when she became a nun, but she's been a mother many, many times over to the children in her care. And she's been a friend and a confidant and a mentor to the women who are the mothers of these children she is living a life of thanksgiving. She continually gives thanks to God. She is always telling people of God's wonderful blessings in their lives. And she has made a choice to live in gladness. She's a wonderful example for us. This Thursday is Thanksgiving. Now, that is one of my favorite holidays. I love the family, the food, the football. Over the years, all of us have become aware that the holiday that we dressed up for and reenacted back in elementary school is not the same event that occurred in history. We serve far different food now than they did then, and for that I'm extremely grateful Sometimes we get caught up in the discrepancies, in the differences, and we forget, we lose sight of the fact that the power of thanksgiving rests with each one of us. The meaning of thanksgiving is decided in each one of our households. For some, thanksgiving is a day that's all about food or football. I would hope that all of us would be focusing on the relationships in our lives that are important to us. Now, it's interesting, over the past few years, Black Friday has encroached earlier and earlier into Thursday, and so for some, Thanksgiving has become all about shopping, but each one of us still has the power to make Thanksgiving all about giving thanks, but it means we have to work at it. We have to be intentional. I think, if we're honest... For far too long, we have settled on Thanksgiving and for the rest of the year for a warm, fuzzy emotion of feeling thankful without ever having given thanks. It's important that we are intentional about living a life of gratitude. This morning's scripture comes from the Psalms, and this particular psalm we don't know as much about as some of the others, Scholars have considered that this is one of the psalms that's attributed to King David, either written by him or on his behalf. Some scholars have even gone so far to say that this 
psalm was written on the occasion of his son Absalom's death, which would make it particularly poignant to read. But whether or not that's true, we know that this psalm begins in thanksgiving. In fact, it highlights the way that we are to live a life of gratitude. It's not something passive. The way to understand this scripture is by looking at the verbs. I will give thanks. I will tell of thy wonderful deeds. I will be glad. I will sing thy praise. It's about action. It's about activity. It's about being intentional and making gratitude a way of life. If we are going to be people of gratitude and live in a state of thanksgiving, we have to be intentional. And I think there are three things that we can discuss this morning that can help us. The first is to remember that we are called to give thanks. Thanksgiving begins with fellowship. There's a reason that meals are featured so prominently throughout the Bible. Meals are a time that people gather together and some of your basic needs are met. Our bodies become hungry. We might even feel some of the hunger pains as we come to the table. And as we eat, that need is met. And our body almost has an innate sense of relief, of gratitude. We have a need for fellowship, and so when we share a meal with others, that need is being met. And so when we gather around a table with friends and family, the basic needs of our body and our spirit are met, but those are at a subconscious level. We can settle for feeling thankful, or we can even overlook it. It's important to intentionally give thanks And a great way to do that is to begin or end a meal in a prayer of thanksgiving to God. It's not just for God, it's for our sake so that we hear ourselves expressing words of thanksgiving. That that really is a part of all that we say and do. Last week, I talked about Helen Keller. Now, as a young girl, she contracted a serious illness that left her deaf and blind. She was unable to communicate until her parents brought in this incredible teacher, Ann Sullivan, who taught her how to sign and read signs in the palm of her hand. And she was able to communicate. Her world opened up. Her parents sent her to meet with the famous preacher of the day, Philip Brooks, who explained who God was to her. And And I shared with you that Anne interrupted him and exclaimed, I know this God you talk about. He's been with me all along. I just didn't know his name. For Helen Keller, she had a sense of God's presence through the entirety of her life. She would grow in fame, and she would use that influence to better the lives of others. She understood that it wasn't enough to feel grateful or feel thankful. She had to live that way. And so she was one of the founding members of the American Civil Liberties Union. She would testify in front of Congress on behalf of people who were blind for their treatment and care to improve. She was an incredible woman of faith and gratitude 
1924, the New York Symphony Orchestra gave a special performance of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony at Carnegie Hall. And that performance was broadcast live over the radio. And Helen Keller was at home with her family, and one of them suggested that she put her hand on the radio to see if she could sense anything from the vibrations. And it was an extraordinary moment in her life. She felt incredibly thankful, but she couldn't just feel that way. The very next day, she sat down and wrote a letter to the New York Symphony, and I want to read part of it to you. Dear friends, I have the joy of being able to tell you that, though deaf and blind, I spent a glorious hour last night listening over the radio to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. I do not mean to say that I heard the music in the sense that other people heard it, and I do not know whether I can make you understand how it was possible for me to derive pleasure from the symphony. It was a great surprise to myself. I had been reading in my magazine for the blind of the happiness that radio was bringing to the sightless everywhere. I was delighted to know that the blind had gained a new source of enjoyment, but I did not dream that I could have any part of that joy. Last night, when the family was listening to your symphony, someone suggested that I put my hand on the receiver to see if I could get any of the vibrations. I lightly touched the sensitive diaphragm. It was my amazement to discover that I could actually distinguish the cornets, the roll of the drums, the deep-toned violas and violins singing in unison. When the human voice entered, I recognized them instantly as voices. As I listened with darkness and melody, I could not help remembering that the great composer Beethoven was deaf like myself. Let me thank you warmly for all the delight which your beautiful music brought. With kindest regards, I am sincerely yours, Helen Keller. Saying thank you is a beginning point for all of us. Expressing our words and expressing our gratitude is important. But we can also give thanks by the very way that we live in this world. Another person who lives a life of gratitude is Carol Burnett. She's written three books, and by and large, the books are collections of stories about people for whom she is grateful, people that she loves, people who have made a difference in her life. I know a lot of times people in Hollywood can get a bad reputation for being vain or superficial, but you can see that she truly lives in joy and gratitude. Many of you may know the story of how she entered into the show business. She was a student at UCLA when after one of her performances, a man and his wife met her. And they were so encouraging and supporting and they talked about how much they loved her talent. And then they gave her a check. A check with enough money to travel to New York and get started on Broadway made a huge difference. It made all the difference in her life. Many years later, there was a man by the name of Michael Saltzman. He was a writer, and he was trying to get his break into the inter- entertainment industry. And one of his very first meetings was with Carol Burnett. 
He said that she was so encouraging and supportive of him, which was amazing in and of itself. But at the end of the meeting, she gave him a check. And she told him to write something, a script, a movie, a a play, a, a poem, anything that would give him his start that he needed. She understood that as grateful as she was, she couldn't just fall back on this feeling. She needed to live it. She needed to live in gratitude. Just recently, that was several years ago when they first met. Just recently, I heard the news that Michael Saltzman is producing a new sitcom with Amy Poehler. And the premise of the sitcom is that Amy plays a character who gets to live in the house of her dreams with only one small stipulation. She has to share the house with an elderly, eccentric, former actress who will be played by Carol Burnett. When you live a life of giving thanks, you might be surprised how it keeps on giving and giving. Second, we are called to tell of God's wonderful deeds If we've been blessed by something or someone, how can we remain quiet? Don't you have a yearning to talk about the things that blessed your life? For Sister Tessa Fitzgerald, she tells everyone about God's blessings for them and for the ministry. It was not enough to just feel a certain way and and count it good. She wanted to look for ways to continually improve the lives of these women. She understood that in the New York prison system, women who are released from prison face a 30% chance of being re-arrested. And so she developed programs that have become so successful that the women who come through her programs only face a 3% chance of going back to prison. She also knew that the women, when they were released, were given no additional clothing, They didn't have pajamas. They didn't have work clothes or a a suit for interviews. And so she established a thrift store. And it wasn't just to meet a need. She wanted to express God's wonderful blessings in their lives. And so she has great fashionable clothing available for the women and jewelry as well. And I couldn't help but laugh that this nun who had made a vow she had given away and sacrificed all her worldly possessions, has jewelry in this thrift store, and she says, everybody needs a little bling in their life. But what she saw most was how important it was for the women when they were released from prison to have a safe place to live. Most of them, because of poverty, would end up in homeless shelters. But women who had children were rejected. There simply wasn't any safe area in the homeless shelters, and they didn't have space for mothers and their kids. And so she knew that that had to be a priority. They were able to tear down one of the older buildings of the convent and, in its place, put up apartment housing for these families. In that area of New York, a comparable apartment would cost $2,800 And the rent at this place is never going to go above a third of the woman's salary. And typically, the average rent at this place is just $500. It makes it affordable. It uh, gives them a second chance to help them get on their feet. 
Well, she just didn't want it to meet a need and, and be a typical apartment. Throughout all the other buildings on her campus, all the other programs, she has second-hand items, things that are donated. She hardly ever buys anything new. But she said for these apartments, it's critical that they're furnished in all brand-new things so that these women understand of how worthy they are, how much they are loved. As a final gift, uh, she has... All the members of the family have a gift of fuzzy slippers, just as a fun way to say God loves you and that you're at home. All of the apartments are decorated by an interior designer. They are beautiful. Well, one of the women whose life has been transformed by this program is Vanina Pinckney. Vanita had been in prison for a drug charge for a year and a half, And then she was sent to a maximum security prison because she violated her parole. And it was there in prison that she gave birth to her son. He came to be a part of the Our Children ministry and was raised up and would have regular time with his mother. And Sister Tessa became involved in Vanita's life. She helped her find a drug treatment program and she found sobriety. She would walk with her every step of the way so that when she was released, she was able to have custody of her child and enter into one of these apartments. Now, before she moved in, she sat down with the interior designer who asked her, what do you want your place to look like? She had never had that opportunity before, and so she kind of embarrassedly, she was shy, and she said, well, I dreamed of a place that was decorated in black and white. When they opened the door to her new three-bedroom apartment, she saw that it was decorated in brand-new furnishings, all black and white. She was overwhelmed, and she looked over at Sister Tessa, and she said, Is this really my house? And the sister said, Yes, you deserve it. For all of her life, Vanita had been told that she deserved punishment for her mistakes and for her crimes. And now, for the first time, she was told that she deserved the love of God because she's a child of God. And that changed her. So much so that she's gone on to work for the program that changed her life. She is now a housing coordinator for the Our Children Ministry. And she talks to everyone about the wonderful blessings in her life. She tells about a time when she couldn't believe that anyone could ever love a stranger. And then she says, but I'm so glad that Sister Tessa loves me. If we're grateful for someone's love in our lives, how can we remain quiet? We need to share the blessings that we have in this life, in our words, in our deeds. And third, We are called to be glad. Now, happiness is something that kind of goes along with the circumstances in our life. If the circumstances are good, then we can feel happiness. If they're not so good, then happiness kind of goes away. But joy and gladness are something different. Joy is something deeper. And joy and gladness are choices we make that are separate from the circumstances we may face. They're a foundation that undergirds our life. Helen Keller chose to be glad 
Now, she had known pain and, and terrible circumstances. And there were certain, certainly times that she felt sadness, but she chose joy. Another person that lives a life of joy is Carol Burnett. She has chosen that despite facing some extreme hardships throughout the course of her life. When she was young, her childhood was very difficult. Her parents divorced, and both her mother and father would struggle with alcoholism for the rest of their lives. She was raised by her grandmother, who had been married six different times before Carol ever came to live with her. And she was raised by this grandmother, who was a Christian scientist and a hypochondriac which caused its own set of problems. But when she talks about her family, she talks about them with love and gratitude. She loves who they are and how they influenced her life. She also experienced the pain of divorce, the pain of watching her daughter Carrie struggle with drug abuse. She would help her daughter Carrie to enter into a drug rehab program and and find sobriety only to face brain cancer a few years later, and she saw her daughter die at the age of 38. Of course, Carol knew pain and hardship and loss throughout her life, but she also made a conscious decision to choose joy. And she chose to live in a sense of gratitude, and she demanded the same from everyone who worked for her. When she was... Uh, conducting her variety show, the Carol Burnett Show, she was famous for her hospitality. After the last night of taping, she and her husband would take out this special guest that week out to dinner for a special way to say thank you. She wanted the guest stars to be treated with respect and kindness. Well, one particular day, Harvey Corman, who was a regular on the show from the very beginning, He wasn't having a good day, and he was rude to one of the guests, and Carol was livid. After the last taping, she called Harvey into her office, and she told him, you need to get happy with your job. I I am prepared to buy out your contract here and now, but if you choose to stay, you will treat everyone with kindness and respect, and I want you to enjoy your job. I want you to be glad here at work, not just one day a week. But frankly, I'd be happy if you were whistling and dancing in the hallways every single day. Now, that was on a Friday evening, and it was left at that, and and she was a nervous wreck. Not only was Harvey an important part of her show, but he was a dear friend of hers, and she didn't know what was going to happen on Monday. Well, Monday morning... Um, turned up, and they almost bumped into each other as he was getting off the elevator. And there they were, facing each other in the silence and the awkwardness, and they just stood there for a second. And then Harvey Corman started whistling and dancing all the way down the hallway. He loved to tell that story because it was a reflection on how Carol Burnett chooses to live life with kindness, in gratitude, and she chooses joy and gladness as the hallmark of who she is. This morning, we are going to celebrate Holy Communion. 
Now, the Greek word for the meal is thanksgiving. It means thanksgiving. And so when we partake of communion, this is our Christian thanksgiving meal. We come together in fellowship. Christ himself invites us, longs for us to be with him. How could we ever refuse such a wonderful blessing? Today, we are invited to the table and to a life of thanksgiving. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. <laughs> 